Welcome to Conversation Beneath the Trees, a podcast bringing together scientists, farmers and innovators from all around Ireland to share their ideas and experiences of farming with trees. I'm your host, Catherine Cleary. I work with trees in urban areas as part of social enterprise Pocket Forests. I love what trees can bring to our land and our lives. I'm fascinated by the many benefits they offer to farming and food production. This podcast has been produced by the Irish Agroforestry Forum in association with GrowIn. It's funded by the Woodland Support Scheme provided by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. Welcome to episode five of Conversation Beneath the Trees. In this episode, we'll do some time travel to farms of the future to see what innovations are on the horizon. We'll be joined by Brendan Digney from tech startup Machine Eye, Helen Keyes from Grow In, and Professor Jim McAdam. My name's Helen Keyes. I am a farmer. We have our farm in County Tyrone. It's a very small farm, just about 50 acres. Uh, I have another role as well in the, the entrepreneur in residence at Queen's University in Belfast. So I work with students, uh, supporting them to come up with ideas in the first instance and, and making those ideas happen. Uh, that's part of my role there. I'm also involved with the Growing Innovation Network, which is a network of uh, farmers who are, you know, working on uh, innovation on farms, I guess. Brilliant. Thanks, Helen. Brendan, can I ask you to introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you're doing? Um, so I'm Brendan Digney, um, founder and engineer at Machine Eye Technology. At Machine Eye, what we're doing is we're building the perception systems, so the systems that allow tractors and machines to understand the world around them, and which will be a key part and a key uh, piece in, in the ultimate package that comes together to facilitate autonomous uh, tractors and machines. So really we're building an operating system to allow existing tractors and existing agricultural machines to take a step forward towards autonomy. So you're putting robots on farms, right? Tesla for tractors. <laughs> we'll give that as your, your shorthand tag. Jim, would you like to introduce yourself? Yep, Jim McAdam. I come originally from a, a small farm in the other, another part of County Down over on the East Coast and um, brought up there. And my background has really been in agricultural research, particularly sort of agronomy, the agronomy side of things. But early on in my research career, I got a big interest in growing trees and getting trees integrated to farms. So I've been working on the agroforestry research program within the Department of Agriculture. And since retiring from that, uh, a couple of years ago, I've been active in promoting agroforestry across the island of Ireland uh, and in building agroforestry into networks with the Growin project and with the Irish Agroforestry Forum helped to drive agroforestry forward and raise the public awareness. And I suppose a lot of what the purpose of this podcast and, and the, the conversations we've been having has been a kind of knowledge sharing idea and farmers talking to farmers about what they're doing and maybe inspiring people to try something new and to innovate. Um, Brendan, can I start with you? Machine Eye, um, it does sound like we're heading for, you know, Blade Runner future on farms. What What's the key piece of farm machinery that's going to look very different, do you think, in, in 10 or 20 years time? So I think the big thing is, is we're maybe not going to see machinery looking very different. Um, we're going to see it being used very differently, but we're not necessarily going to see it looking very different, at least 
that's the view we have. It's the view that others have. Um, and it's the view that we're building our technology on. So hopefully it's the right one. Um, what we have at the moment are very productive machines. What we have at the moment are very good machines. So the key to moving to the next generation, which will likely be an autonomous generation, is not about trying to um, redesign what we already have. It's around taking what we have and what we know and what works very well um, and adapting it to suit the needs um, of, of, of an autonomous industry. Um, I suppose the big question is why, why, why will we go that direction or why is there a need for it? Um, there's a little bit of crystal ball work uh, in that, um, but there's also an awful lot of good work being done at the minute and development being done um, of going down that pathway. And a large part of it is sustainability, um, both sustainability of the, of, the, of the land, but also sustainability of the industry. Um, we don't have a really have a, an, an increasing workforce. We have a decreasing workforce. So if we're going to continue to see throughput, if we're going to continue to see potentially higher outputs than we have at the moment, well, we need to support our farmers. We need to support our industry. And um, a lot of the visions of the next 10 to 15 years show that autonomy will be a large part of that. If and when you say just, autonomy, you're talking about self-driving machinery? Self, self-driving machinery. So if picture in your head, for instance, a, a swarm of tractors instead of one. Um, at the moment, a single operator can operate a single machine. Um, but in an autonomous world, that operator is possibly operating three or four machines in the same field. Um, that, that's given them a greater throughput for the same labor input. Um, so those machines work very well. We don't need to redesign them from the ground up. We just need them to work in this environment and in this scenario where one, it's one to many. Um, that also brings significant benefit. If, if we can work with a swarm of machines, we can work with smaller machines which have less of an impact upon the soil itself. We're not seeing compaction. We're maybe not seeing as heavy tillage. Um, and that has been demonstrated in studies to, to actually um, improve output, improve yields. It's better for our, it's better for our land. It's better for our world if we can go for these smaller, um, lighter machines doing more work than we're currently doing at the moment. So that's potentially a picture of what autonomy will look like. It'll look very familiar to what we've seen. It might even look to more like what we've seen years ago with smaller tractors like Massey 35s and TE20s machines of that scale. Um, but that that's certainly one vision um, of the direction of of travel there. So Massey 35s into Tesla's. So I do like that image of um, the smaller and lighter. Alan, we're, when we're talking about change, uh, I suppose innovation is a more positive version of that word uh, because it, it means a, a better future for innovation. Um, Helen, you're with a very interesting organization called Growing Innovation Network. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it began? Certainly, Jim and I are both involved with the, the Growing Innovation Network and it was really, it, it's farmer-led group and it's about um, bringing farmers together to have discussions and conversations and share ideas it, and, and to talk about innovation uh, and, and how we can uh, really positively uh, start changing things for the future. So... I mean, really, with the Growing Innovation Network, what we were trying to do was just create space for innovation to happen. 
um, and, uh, you know, create lots of places for farmers to to meet and chat and get together because that's where a lot of innovation happens, you know, literally in the field, especially when you get groups of people together chatting to each other. Um, it also happens, I guess, when you get experts like Jim, you know, uh, talking to other experts or talking to farmers. And uh, when you get that mix together, that's where I think the innovation happens. So that's what the Growing Innovation Network is about, is creating that space for that innovation to happen. And are your meetings happening in person at this stage or is it online? We do as much in person as we can. I think uh, everybody's just dying to get back to to meeting in person if we can possibly do that. We we do like to create opportunities for farmers to have conversations in as many places as possible. So as well as the in-person events, we have an app and you can download that to your phone. And there's a forum on there where people are chatting about all kinds of stuff. We're chatting about sowing a lot. We're chatting about worms. We're chatting about uh, silage and slurry and comfrey and all kinds of agroforestry, uh, trees, tree fodder, all that kind of stuff is going on in our in our forum. Uh, and, you know, rather than scrolling through Facebook of an evening, uh, the, the Grow In is, uh, forum is a bit more educational and edifying. It sounds amazing. I'd love to be in a, on an app with talking about slurry and worms. Uh, it sounds like my kind of app. Helen, it goes back to something you were saying about, you know, that a lot of the talk on the app is about soil. Um, is there a greater understanding now that, you know, obviously machines are a massive um, labour saving devices, but that, that there has been a toll taken on soil by having extremely heavy machinery working on farms? Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. We're recognising the problems with compaction and as we're seeing, you know, more examples of flooding and, and issues with drainage and weather patterns are changing a bit. Uh, we have to be much more conscious of, of how we're treating our soil and, and the valuable asset that it is. So I 100% agree with Brenton that that kind of swarm technology, the lighter, smaller, not overly complicated machines would be, um, you know, the a really good vision for the future. Um, we... As I said earlier, we have a small farm, very traditional farm, and we have a real problem now with getting contractors to come and do work on the farm because it's all, uh, their machines are too big to get up our lanes or <laughs> through the fields. So um, it would certainly work for us to see smaller, lighter machines would be would be right up our street. So you send, send in the swarm. Um, Brendan, it, I mean, the idea of no-till is is you know, being talked about much in much more broad ways now as well. And, and the fact that there's a greater understanding of the carbon release of, of ploughing. Um, do we see, a, a, you know, our national ploughing championships looking, looking very different in the future with these lighter, maybe no-till based machines? It's it's certainly a potential. Um, I think looking to the future, we can go in many different ways. Um, I think very much with without a, a technical hat on, with, with a pure agricultural hat on, I don't think we'll see the ploughing championships disappear. It's a, it's a very important skill. It's a very traditional skill. We will see those traditions continue. Um, just because we're moving down a different technological route doesn't mean we have to, we necessarily remove the core principles um, of working the land. We still have to understand how to work with the land, how to work with the environment, and adapt those into technical advances. So certainly I think the, the plan championships are safe mm. for another few years. Jim, where does technology come into the agroforestry world? Um, 
is there a potential there for maybe drones to monitor the tree growth or you know to spot parts of farms where there's potential for for trees yeah i do i mean an agroforestry system is a very complex one and it's very three-dimensional uh you, you have trees you have a canopy of trees and you have a lot of things going on within that then you have on the ground itself you have obviously the, whatever the understory is and that might be a multi-species sward which is complex in itself and then particularly you have below the ground and that's where most of the sort of advances i think are being made in agroforestry is trying to understand what's happening with, with the interaction of roots and tree roots and the fungi and the insects and the bacteria and the worms that are associated with that and more and more we're using for example, ground penetrating laser type technology that will help us better understand how we can create a more diverse soil and more sustainable soil by using trees within that. So in terms of the actual investigation and getting the, the results that back up, uh, give policymakers the opportunity or, or, or the information to actually adopt things like agroforestry, then yes, I think we have to use the most advanced technology we can. It gives in us that the situation. evidence. Helen, in the meetings that you have with the, the Growing Innovation Network, is there a general theme among farmers about, because uh, I'm conscious that the work that farmers do is based on a lot of hard work to set up their systems. And that idea that you have to change your system can be can feel very challenging when it's been your life's work to farm in the way that you're farming. Is that something that comes up for discussion much in this in this forum? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think there's been a period where a lot of farmers have been under a lot of pressure. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think there's a reason to feel like it doesn't have to be like that, if you know what I mean, because I think uh, as we move forward, we're actually an awful lot of us are already doing a lot of really good stuff. Um, and I think, you know, for, for us on our farm, for example, um, you know, as we sort of came to understand a bit more about what we could do with our farm and having run it for maybe 10 years, feeling quite under pressure and thinking about, you know, we're not making enough money here and we're not, you know, and, and really once we sort of got a bit of a vision for the future, once we started to sort of get excited about that, and once we started to think, you know, oh gosh, actually, uh, here's a whole other crop we could look at, and what would that do for the farm, and what would it do for us making a profit? And suddenly we kind of fell in love with farming again, and that that's what I hope talking about innovation will do for other farmers, that we move from a position of feeling a bit helpless and feeling under pressure and thinking the world's out to get us to seeing a really positive future for farming that's you know we can all get excited and enthusiastic about it. yeah that's a it's a really good take on it a, a couple of weeks ago uh, a group of us in growing we, we got together sort of a stakeholder forum we're thinking of year ahead we've just got an extension of our project funds for another th for three years so we're really starting to more formalize the sort of areas that that we encourage networking and innovation in so we sat down with all the leading sort of farm and groups in, in Northern Ireland or people who are involved in the rural, rural industry. And we come up with about six topics, you know, which we really think we're going to push. I'm not going to go over them all now, but one of those was what Helen was just talking about was how do we manage change? We know that 
farming has to change in some ways. But this whole idea of management of change is really something that we need to delve into much more and see how we can make that process, whether it's by using ambassadors or whether it's by using champions in farming or whether it's by using right at ground level, just recognizing uh, that the skills and the point of view that people are coming from is perfectly valid and, and uh, we don't don't involve criticism, don't be negative, you know, don't criticize people for something they've been doing because the government has encouraged them to do that for the last lot of generations. All these sorts of things I think come into the process of change and uh, that's where once again we feel, particularly from an intergenerational point of view, uh, if we can get round the table with our young farmers and with those farmers who have contributed a lot and have perhaps learned from their parents and grandparents and feel that their knowledge and their information is maybe going to be lost or not valued. Uh, and I th that's another area that we hope very much to, to work with uh, under a sort of a rural support mechanism where we can make older farmers feel more valued and more appreciative and that the skills that they had when they were younger or as they farmed might be working with trees, it might be their appreciation of soil, different crops, clovers, all those sorts of things. That's really valuable. And by networking together and encourage bringing together, we can help drive forward change and help manage change by bringing people in. And, and I suppose technology is, is facilitating that kind of meeting up of people from all over the country in an online meeting. So it's one way that shows, you know, this is about going back to maybe past traditions, but also embracing new technology um, for the future. Brendan, how much of um, technology is there to help us? I suppose not just we've talked about working the land, but also maybe even assessing the land. Um, and as Jim was saying, that complexity of, you know, how alive your soil is, what kind of technology is available now to, to look at your soil in that way? There's an incredible amount of technology there to help with the science of land management, of the science of farming, of the science um, behind what we do. Um, everything from embedded IoT sensors, which can monitor moisture, temperature, nitrate levels, to optical. I've, I have a particular interest in optical systems, camera-based systems. Um, from, from the point of view of, 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 again, working with the land, there's now spraying technology which can identify specific weeds. So um, Dawkins is an example, and only spray those. So you're, you're, you're not um you're not blanket spraying a field you're only targeting specific um weeds that has has huge benefits there is satellite analysis of crop growth um using multi-spectrum imagery we can identify areas of a field that are poorly performing areas that need additional attention where there's, where there's um water issues um there's a huge suite there but it's innovating all the time um and what we're seeing an awful lot of at the moment is technology that has been prevalent in other industries now being translated across into into agriculture so we're seeing um large form data analysis which would have maybe started in the financial sectors and um, now coming into to agriculture and if you look at the data points that we're generating if you look at what's available there by by taking those practices which have been refined um, and developed for, for other industries, taking the knowledge and putting it in here. There's huge, huge impact and, 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 and a huge, huge benefit that they can bring. Um, so almost pick, 
pick your challenge, there'll be a technology there for right. it. And that complexity of farming with nature needs complex uh, intelligence to, to figure it all out for you, I suppose. It does. It does. Um, but for all the complexity that there is in the intelligence, actually, the the, the, the biggest challenge, um, and it's one that was shared recently in a, in, a, in a discussion, the biggest challenge is actually making it simplistic enough mm -hmm. to use. Um, so you can get as technical and you can get as complex as you like, but actually the challenge is communicating all this information, communicating all these variables, communicating all these data points, and communicating these actions to whoever it is in a manner that's simple, effective, and can be actioned without information mm -hmm. overload. Um, the key is the key to everything in innovation is to work with the user um, and to assist. You know, th this technology is not to get in the way um, of people mm -hmm. doing their jobs. This technology is to make it more streamlined, more simplistic. Uh, ultimately easier um, it's an assistive technology and it must do that so it's it's yes there's there's the complexity but the biggest challenge is making sure it's that complexity is communicated mm -hmm. correctly and the user the user experience is good at the end other end of it Helen I love your title entrepreneur in residence um do farmers feel like they have to be entrepreneurs these days in terms of maybe changing their offering to consumers I think farmers have been uh, always have been entrepreneurial and always have been innovative and I you know farming has changed in recent years do you know what I mean we're not farming the same way now as we were 40 years ago there's been big transitions in farming so I think you know it's it's a kind of misconception to think that farmers don't change or they're resistant to change in some way because the fact of the matter is that farming has changed dramatically uh, ho over the last while so um, I think farmers are totally are, are brilliant innovators really because like, on a farm you are constantly problem solving aren't you you are constantly you know looking for for other ways to do things especially when you're on a limited budget I mean innovation is you know a daily thing for for most farmers as we invent stuff and change stuff and find better ways of doing stuff so no better innovators really so you know I feel very positive about that I, I do think it's worth saying as well that it's not just all about technology when we talk about innovation it, it's sure technology is a massive part of that but innovation is also finding other ways to do things um, with or without technologies We'll take a break there from all that innovation. We've looked backwards to small tractors and traditions of shared machinery. And in the next half, we'll hear about how farmers need space to innovate and where the earthworm might fit into innovative ideas. Um, so Brendan, are you actually building tractors or what, what's your line of work? No, so we are not building tractors themselves. Um, we're building the technology which can be added to the tractors. Um, so ver one small facet or one small part of what will be the big puzzle uh, and the big package for autonomy. So we won't see, um, well, correction, we, we will see in some cases, but by and large, we'll, we'll see existing machines adapted to become autonomous. And that'll be a piece of work done more than likely by a consortia of multiple different businesses. There's different 
technological issues and challenges to overcome, guidance, control, speed, steering, and the big piece in that will be understanding the world around them. So that's what we tackle. We tackle um, building the technology to allow these machines to understand um, where they are and what's around them. And we'll work with others then to, to adapt them and to bring them up to, to autonomy levels. Mm-hmm. And you spoke earlier a very vivid image of a swarm of Massey, Massey 35s on your land. It sounds like an expensive operation. Is there also the potential for maybe farmers not having to own this system, but that it's something that they can uh, invite onto their land as they might do, you know, an Uber ride or whatever, that there would be a a sort of a library of of these tools as opposed to everybody having to own them. Yeah, well, I think I think all we have to do is look backwards. Um, If you go right back to the time when you talk about the, the 35s, generally, I remember hearing stories about how the threshing mill was brought around and how families shared machinery between each other. And that may well be a model that we go back to. So, um, you know, I talked about the technology that a lot of the technology is being brought from other industries and adapted. Well, a lot of the business models will be too. In other industries, you don't own your machine, you simply lease it. Um, whether that's leased over a number of years or leased for a specific task. So, um, I think the, there will be different models there. There will, as costs costs are getting greater and greater, machines are getting dearer and dearer. There, there's going to be different ways of ownership and different ways of of managing that cost. So we can look to other industries, but we can also look back mm-hmm. to the the shared equipment. Helen, the um, title of entrepreneur entrepreneur in residence in in Queens is a really interesting one. Um, and I suppose we don't think of farmers as entrepreneurs, but but you think that they they are actually they they embody that spirit. When you're a farmer, you are you are an entrepreneur. I mean, you're you're running your own business. You're you're making decisions for yourself. You're uh, running the whole show. You have to be entrepreneurial to be a farmer. And um, and I I do genuinely think farmers are really innovative. You know, every day on our farms, we are solving problems and uh, finding other ways to do things. Find hacks you know quick hacks to to make stuff or or do stuff around the farm constantly innovating so I I think there's no doubt we are innovative and I think if you if you as Brendan was saying you know if we look back at how farming was 40 years ago 50 years ago 100 years ago it it does change it changes all the time you know we've changed really rapidly um, certainly in the last 40 50 years so you know, we shouldn't be scared of change. I don't think, you know, we're, we're good at it. We adapt easily. So uh, I, I think farmers, you know, are prime position to innovate our way into a more positive future. And how much of the discussion with the Grow In forums is about technology or is it more about um, changing of practices? I mean, where, where does the divide lie on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly think innovation, you know, technology is a big part of innovation, but it's not all of innovation. And to me, innovation is what happens when, you know, a group of us get together and we kick ideas around and, you know, oh, what if we tried this and have you tried that? Or, you know, um, it's about, uh, you know, creating the space really for us to come up with uh, novel ideas. And that might be technology, but it also might be, you know, niche crops or new routes to market or novel ways of growing stuff or, you know, there's all kinds of other things that we can do. Uh, Jim and I have worked on a really good project, uh, a water innovation project, where 
you know, going thinking right back to the, the early stages of that, it was, you know, what we were about was trying to re- reduce pollution from, from farms and, you know, dealing with agricultural runoff. And, you know, we just put a lot of put a, farmers in a room with some experts who knew a lot of stuff. We went and looked at farms and really analysed where the problems lay, kicked around ideas. And some of the solutions that they came up with are, are fantastic. They're low cost. They're based on nature. You know, it's very low tech stuff, but it makes a huge difference. So, yeah, doesn't have to be high tech. High tech's great, but there's also mm-hmm. low tech innovation too. And I suppose, Jim, part of that model is also it doesn't have to be top down. It doesn't have to be the expert coming in and saying, uh, you know, this is how you solve the problem. What's uh, that's that water project sounds like there was a lot of collaboration in terms of experts coming and saying, here's the science and farmers saying, well, here's my land and here's how I can manage it. Did that, is that how that innovation? Yeah, evolved? and I think the word partnership is really the, the key in that bit of innovation. Uh, you know, we, we got together with a group of farmers who had a problem with dirty water off their farms, was polluting a river. And, uh, you know, we looked around together and they said, this is what we think we can do. And we said, this is what might be feasible. And look, here's an idea that's popular uh, in other parts of the country, this idea of growing swales, for example, o- open streams where you let the water flow down slowly and then you grow plants along it. And one of the great entrepreneurs and innovators is Helen's dad. He'll ring you up in the morning and say, I thought, could we grow comfrey in these swales? Could we grow nettles in these swales? And then he goes away and he searches it and he comes up with the plants and then he provides food. So it, it was a partnership. There was just lots of people chipping in and not afraid to say things and try things. A, another part of it too, just leading on what Helen said, is terminology. I mean, we have, we have it's, it's one area we're going to actually focus on quite a bit because we think people are put off by, if people use big words, you know, then it sometimes put people's off. And I often tell a humorous story. If you've got a second, I could tell that one of our our uh, well-known agricultural journalists here uh, a couple of years ago was on the radio, and he was he was talking about when he started off in his career, and he was doing a, a radio pro- a program, Radio Ulster, talking to to farmers, a farmer in Fermanagh over the radio, and Ian said, uh, "I, I uh, it had been very wet, been wet for days and day, for weeks and weeks." And he knew that farmers were having a great difficulty getting their forage. And he was talking to this farmer, Mr. Jones, let's say in Vermont, and he said, yes, Mr. Jones, and not on, not only that, it's all this rain is making things, uh, it's exacerbating the situation, isn't it? And Mr. Jones then said, aye, not only that, it's making it worse. So uh, <laughs> Ian said, Ian Harvey, he said to me, I learned then, never use big words. Whatever you... <laughs> so for example, the terminology, one of the we're very concerned about our peatlands and how we could you know rehabilitate those peatlands how we could reinvigorate them how we could turn them into carbon uh, sinks rather than carbon sources and one of the words we use is restoration a lot and uh, in my dealings of working with farmers farmers find a certain offense at restoration because if you say it's restore to we want to restore these peatlands that implies that they've been damaged or they've been destroyed in some way and not necessarily by them or, or through their fault. It could be the climate. It could be the advice they were given by government in the past or whatever. So we try to move away from using the word restoration and we say rehabilitation or renovation or rejuvenation or, or something like that. So it's mm. this, the terminology 
you use, you know, don't use negative terms, try and be positive. And that mm. we think is also part of, uh, uh, of the whole innovation picture. Definitely. Brendan, do you find it um, technology sometimes, you know, there, there is a lot of jargon in there. Do you struggle with being able to explain what you're doing and by using those simple, simple terms? Um, that, 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 that's a very, it's a broad piece, um, an important piece of the puzzle in technology is being able to communicate it. Um, that can change very dramatically depending on who it is you're communicating to. Um, we're often trying to communicate a very, um, a technology very specific to agriculture um, and challenges very specific to agriculture to people who wouldn't have the same knowledge of the industry maybe um, as, as those of us here. So yeah, choice of language, approach to communication is, is a big, big piece, but it's around innovation and technology. If we can't communicate the technology, if we can't share the benefit of it, um, if we can't share the reasoning for innovating in our businesses, well, then we maybe we're not doing it right. Um, but a big, big piece of promoting any sort of innovation. And is there a, a fear that jobs, you know, physical jobs on farms are, are going to be replaced by, uh, the ro as I say, the robots that are coming? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, you know, the phrase that I've used is it's assistive technology. Um, it's there it's there to allow the same people to do more um, ultimately we're never going to replace the farmer um, they have a feel for their land they have an understanding of the climate of their land um, and when nobody is setting out to replace anybody um, it's to make hard work a bit easier um, it's to allow better efficiencies it's to allow people sometimes to have a day off. I know that's not maybe the most traditional concept uh, with some, but it's it's not a replacement exercise. And I don't think there's anybody talking along those mm. lines. Mm. Helen, um, what are you hearing from farmers about the barriers to innovating? What what are the barriers there? Interesting question, yeah. Um, I think, as I said earlier, you know, we, we all innovate every day on our on our farms, you know, we're, we're good at doing that on a daily basis. But um, to take a step back and, and tackle sort of bigger levels of innovation and think more strategically, we have to give ourselves space to do that. And we're all so busy doing what we do every day. We, we often don't give ourselves the space to innovate. Um, and I think that's something where, you know, hopefully the likes of the Growing Innovation Network or, you know, even just having conversations like this about it and um, creating, you know, that opportunity to take time out to think about your 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 business and think about where innovation is needed and how you can tackle those problems. And um, that was one of the things with the water project where, you know, we said, right, we're going to have a workshop and we're going to spend three hours thinking about this deeply. And we're going to, you know, really explore the problem. Where's the water going? What's, you know, how's it getting there? <laughs> Where did it come from? What's, you know, what's the problem with it? How could we, and, and just really, you know, we used sort of 
there's lots of tools and techniques to drive innovation that lots of big tech companies would be very familiar with using. And we don't tend to use those in farming very much because, you know, we just do it. We're just busy doing what we do. So, you know, bringing some of that culture of innovation into farming, I think, is what we need where, uh, you know, we we run workshops and we have design thinking and we, we you know, all of those kind of uh, processes that, you know, you'd be very familiar with in the whole startup ecosystem. That culture of innovation needs to be brought in. Um, I think a barrier to innovation is often just not putting your head above the parapet, not wanting to put yourself out there too much. You know, innovators have to be prepared to, you know, uh, put their ideas forward and have people shoot them down sometimes. And, you know, uh, so creating, a, that's part of a culture of innovation where people are prepared to say, how about this? What about that? And, and you know, we, instead of going, I write, we, we go, hmm, yeah, maybe let's think about that. Uh, so, you know, we need to be supportive of each other in trying new things. I think that's part of innovation. And then, of course, it takes a bit of money to try stuff out. And, you know, we're, we're all operating on tight margins. And do, do we have, you know, do we have land to spare to try something else out on that? Do we have the machinery to try something else? Um, you know, often the innovation might take a bit of investment. So we need to, to create channels for that to happen too. And that, Jim, that question of whether it's the personal responsibility of farmers to be innovators or do we need system innovation? So, you know, as you were saying, farmers are farming in the way that they were told to. Um, Now that we know that that's causing harm to the environment, does the system need to innovate in how it incentivizes and pays for the services that farmers provide, not just the food that they? Yeah, very much so. And the education system for farmers probably needs to build innovations into it a bit more. Uh, and, you know, that's an area where we feel we could be of some help to, you know, our young people are really, that's, well, they're the future and that, and they are receptive, uh, more receptive than a lot of people give them credit for sometimes to innovation. Uh, uh, so we have to, I think, start changing the system and then work that right up through to our agricultural support system, which, um, you know, is, is getting constantly bombarded by the message that we've got to be more climate resilient, that we've got to change how we support farming, how we produce our food and the amount of food that we produce uh, because the world's population is growing too. So there are all these big, big scale changes, but this still doesn't get away from the fact that a lot of that innovation will be bottom up. It comes from in the minds and the experience of those people themselves who are working the land and who see every day ways in which they can make it better and deliver that um, and then feed that right through into the system. Yeah, that's a, it is. It's it's all and everything, isn't it? And with an urgency onto that in terms of getting to, you know, a, yeah. a 10 year a 10 year time frame where after that mm. we're, we're not sure what we're going to be looking at and um, brendan how much of the kind of climate um monitoring is going to be done by technology um you know and and ca- can technology help farmers to farm with you know extremes uh of weather i mean i've, I've seen some coverage in african countries where you know they are they are able to connect people by apps and telling them about weather extremes that are on the way and maybe helping them to prepare for that is that information technology i suppose going to be a big part of of farming in much more extreme weather events i I think there's no doubt that it will be um it comes into so many other areas of our world now that 
we're almost entirely reliant um, upon that ability to forecast and that ability to to better study the world in which we live. So um, as as an industry that is primarily reliant upon the environment, um, uh, there's no question that 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 greater environmental visibility through forecasting and through monitoring is going to be a key key technology in everything that we do going forward. In terms of innovation, you know, you talked about the next ten years are crucial, and yes, I mean this is an urgent situation. Therefore, another thing we are really looking for is quick wins. You know, we we can say yes, okay, planting trees we've all said is a great thing to do, and um, but it takes time and it takes a bit of leap of faith at the start. So there, but there are really, there are quick quick wins we can get out there. Uh, I, I just to use the example of our rivers project where uh, we we looked at how we could deal with the dirty water. You know, in two years we now have the water coming pure into that river. For before that. That farmer was continually the department on his back for 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 polluting the river, and that was just using willows and plants uh, uh, to deliver a quick solution. So, and then getting that message out too. So we, ha I think we have to look for these quick, a few a few quick wins, just to get mm -hmm. farmers. Um, you know, a lot of them are despairing too of of, of how they're going to move forward and the, even just their image. And if we had some quick wins that we could move forward with, I think it would help the whole innovation process. Definitely. Um, Brendan, in terms of the developments and te technology that's coming to farms, what, what do you see as being the first change that farmers are going to start seeing in, in what's arriving? Um, uh, I think they're seeing it already, and I think it's the availability of data. Um, data is key to the whole piece in making informed decisions um, and in guiding the decision-making process. Um, so we're seeing, for instance, huge adoption of um, livestock monitoring, um, technology to, to look at everything from the activity to the health to the uh, output of, of dairy animals, uh, dairy livestock. We're seeing an increase in nitrate monitoring in targeted um, application um, of artificial fertilizers, section control technologies like that. But the key that um, uh, the key piece that 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 underpins all of that is is the availability of the data to make that decision. Um, and it all comes down to a phone. You know, most farmers now are getting data directly to their phone and into their hand. And while it might might not say as it, while it might not seem to be innovation, while it may not be um, as huge a piece as others, just having that visibility of data and being able to make informed decisions is going to be key to, to everything else that comes along. And will we be seeing animals uh, almost chipped to, to provide information on their health or, you know, that kind of... Potentially, I've seen, I've seen lately in a, in a dairy herd boluses which can report back um, an awful lot of parameters on the health and the well-being of the animal. Um, so I think we are seeing that, um, and that is the direction of travel. And ultimately, it's improving welfare. Um, if 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 their visibility is there, um, it's it's only a good thing. So yeah, I think that that that's exactly what we're seeing mm -hmm. at the moment. Is there a generational um, shift there? Is it is this kind of you know very new idea 
to farming more accepted by younger farmers do you think or is that just uh, you know is that not not true do you think the farmer mentality is typically let's let's give this a go if it works I'm, I'm going to be happy to do it yeah I, I mean I think farmers are generally very pragmatic about that kind of thing and if we can demonstrate uh, the demonstrate the benefits I think most farmers are willing to try most things if they can see you know they, they weigh it up and if there's you know uh if it saves money, saves time, uh, gives a better product at the end, you know, if they can see that there's a solid benefit to it and the evidence is there. I, I think, again, you know, a lot of farmers are, are open to that kind of change. Mm-hmm. And how difficult is it to communicate the benefits of something, you know, which isn't mainstream? I suppose farmers are used to getting the mainstream message about what it is that they're doing and how they're doing it. And there's a lot of there is a lot of money behind that in terms of the, you know, the feed and fertilizer industries, which are very wealthy and can, uh, you know, use their marketing budgets to sell their product, which is uh, fine. But it can be difficult for somebody who maybe is coming with an innovation that isn't going to make a fortune for a large company to get their message across. Is that something that this network can can kind of on, you know, get under the radar of and that people can be, a, it'll be a peer-to-peer recommendation as opposed to a marketing campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I'm finding at our events is, you know, actually getting out into a field, talking with other farmers, and in particular, looking at things, practical things that you could do on your farm that you can try out, you know, Doing, you know, getting a spade out and digging the soil and having a look at it and chatting about, right, what would you do with this field? What should we do differently here? Or, you know, getting down in the river and looking at how we can check water quality in our rivers without using lab analysis. And, you know, uh, when we are offering sort of really practical, useful things on the farm, uh, I think there's a huge appetite for that. Um, And then, you know, people like Brendan is no better. You know, I can't. He's such a good communicator and, you know, when you have, uh, it's a high tech product, but, you know, he's brilliant at sort of explaining how that could practically work on a farm or how it could be applied or, you know, so um, I, I think again, you, you don't need a huge marketing campaign if you've got a product that works and where people can see, yeah, that actually I can see, see there's a need for that. So. Um, you know, if you've got a really good product, a really good innovation, I think a lot of the time it'll sell itself up. People will tell everybody else about it. Thanks, Helen. Your checks in the post. <laughs> and Brendan, is that because you come from a farming background, do you think that you have that, that skill? I, um, I don't know that I would say I would have that skill. That's Helen really doing the talking <laughs> okay, well, there. Well, but, Helen is um, the truth. Well, it helps. You need to know what you're talking about. Um, and, you know, having that experience, that's that's the best way. Um you know, you do, if you're trying to promote something, if you're trying to communicate something, evangelize something, well, you need to, you, you need to know where you And you going. need to have done it, I suppose, Jim. Isn't that where this peer-to-peer um, system yeah, works? Yeah, it's very much, yeah. Yeah, for example, we were on a, a farm visit, a growing farm visit, uh, not, not so long ago, and um, on this girl's farm, and we were walking around seeing the animals are very good. And there was a, a sort of a, a rusty old bath in the corner of the yard with a tin sheet over it. She just happened to mention, oh, well, that's where I, I'm growing my, my worms. So immediately everybody went dived over. And for the rest, for the next half hour, 
were just fascinated by the fact that this girl was growing earth, these type of worms, which she was going to put in her slurry, which would help make the slurry more break down better and go on the land. And she'd heard that idea somewhere and she was just quietly trying away at it. And that, that stuck with everybody who was at that meeting because, you know, let's look and see what will happen about that. So these are, this is just what it's all about in terms of peer to peer and, and, uh, getting ideas out there and that's what in the growing project it's just encouraging that networking of farmers to get that message out and I, I mean farming remains a very different job I suppose lots of jobs have become kind of the same you know if you're to walk into a solicitor's office or a newspaper they'll kind of look the same they'll be people on computers or phones or actually people working from home on computers or phones at this point whereas farming is is a very particular job and I think there's there's probably an idea there that unless you're a farmer, you don't really understand what it means to be a farmer. So there's no point in telling me how to farm because you don't know what you're talking about as a non-farmer. Is that, Helen, is that um, something that you would agree with or am I being unfair to farmers that they're not, that they don't need to hear it from another farmer or does it, does it help that they, when they do hear it from another farmer? I, I think there's a, a bit of a need for both, to be honest. Um, I think it's absolutely hearing stuff from other farmers who understand your pain and understand how your farm works and understand um, that it, it's not just a straight, it's a business, but it's not just a straight up business. There's a lot of other factors involved in farming because it's a family thing. It's a lifestyle thing. There's, you know, there's so many other things to take into account with farming beyond just the, the business side of things. But I do also think in terms of innovation, sometimes getting stepping outside of your everyday farming kind of context is a really good thing. And I think that can drive innovation. So for example, when we were doing the the water innovation project, um, one of the things we did in the very early meetings was um got some uh just some people who were interested but didn't know anything about farming into some of the meetings. And it was really useful because we had to sort of explain the problem to them in non-farming terms, if you like. And actually doing that helped us really sort of get to grips with with what the issues were and having them in the room. Like we had, I think we had a, a chemical engineer and we had an architect, I think, um, and a, a few different people in there who just were coming at it from a completely different viewpoint. Um, so I think certainly in terms of communicating messages and so on, hearing it from other farmers is great. But I think there is room in the mix to have those other, you know, people from multidisciplinary, uh, you know, from all kinds of different place, disciplines coming in can actually be a real benefit to drive an innovation. Mm -hmm. So, so we can't do this on our own. We can't just be farmers off on our own in a corner. We need to, we need to be bringing lots of other people into that mix as well. And you're part of a, you're part of a social system, I suppose, as well, because a farm is is more than just. A business, as you say, or a factory producing something. Absolutely. It, it has links to links to the environment, links to its community. Um, are you optimistic, Brendan, that um, all of the technological innovation is going to benefit farming? Or do you fear at all that, you know, there is a dystopian future there, you know? It depends how it's managed. Um, I think to build on... Helen's point, community is key. Um, that has that has been learned not just in farming, but uh, but across multiple industries with the adoption of technology. Um, can't be built in isolation. It must be built as a community. So, 
there, it, will it be a, a, a dystopian future? I don't think so. Um, will everything that's developed be adopted? We've, we've learned from history, probably not. Um, there will be some things which will be transformational. There will be some things that maybe fall short, but that's innovation. Um, they have to be tried, they have to be tested. Um, and that's the direction that we're going. Brilliant. Um, I think my virtual caller is telling me we've wandered to the end of our <laughs> our discussion on this one. Jim, um, innovation, don't be afraid of it. Is that the message to farmers that it's uh, it's can be a positive ingredient in how you think about your farm? Yep, certainly. Uh, it's 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 our driver for the future. We, we, we do know we need to change. We need to change in a nature friendly way to farm, but we need to produce food. So the farmer is important, is absolutely vital to, to the future of civilization. Um, and we've got to make farmers feel that and say that, look, we're on the path with you and helping you go down that path. And I feel that's just a role that, 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 that we have to follow. And build pride back into this uh, noble profession. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you all very much. That was a really interesting discussion. Thank you. Find out more about Jim's work at Irish Agroforestry, all one word, dot IE. You can see some of Brendan's work on machine-i.com. Helen can be found at helenkeys.com and her project to link growers with restaurants is at sourcegrow.co.uk. Find out more about the Irish Agroforestry Forum as well as their latest news and events on irishagroforestry, all one word, dot IE. Listen to all of our episodes on your favourite audio platforms, including Spotify and iTunes. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe to and share our podcast to spread the word far and wide. This podcast has been produced by the Irish Agroforestry Forum in association with Growin. It is funded by the Woodland Support Scheme provided by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. I'm your host, Catherine Cleary, and you can find out more about my work with Pocket Forest at pocketforest.ie. This podcast was produced and edited by Karishma Kasurakur from The Curated Pod. This project was supported and led by Maureen Kilgore, Project Coordinator for Agroforestry Education and Promotion, the Irish Agroforestry Forum. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Conversation Beneath the Trees as much as we've loved chatting with our guests. Thanks for listening. 